Swain. Well, I'm glad I didn't say that, what Rob just said. Can you believe that? Bad Rob saying something. I would never say school is about ready to start, you know. I mean, actually thought about that first service. And then before even Rob got up and I knew what he was going to say, I thought, man, one of the things I would never say. <laughs> no, no. How y'all doing? Isn't that great weather? Don't you love it? Love this heat. Just blesses my heart. Did I tell you, did I tell you last Sunday, one day I came out of Target, my glasses steamed up, and I just said, God, you're so good. I just love this. <laughs> yeah, really. Honestly, I did. Hey. Well, in this series, we're celebrating the truth that we're God's masterpiece in the making. I, I think there, there's hardly anything as uh, amazing, and uh, I, I can't think of any, anything better than this, than this uh, incredible thing that God's doing in our life and through Christ. And it's something that, that I, can, I, can, I can say to you with, <clears throat> to, excuse me, <clears throat> with total confidence because it's not something I made up. It's something that I, that I found in God's Word. In fact, if you read the Bible, you're going to see that it's repeated over and over again in many different ways. God keeps emphasizing to us that we are his masterpiece. And one of those times is in the passage we come to this morning. I've just been waiting as we've been in this series to actually be able to get to this chapter and to these verses because they're just so awesome. And it's Ephesians chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. And and, and what it is, is what uh, the Spirit of God led the Apostle Paul to write down as a description of, of what we are. And, uh, and it's all a result of God's grace through Jesus Christ, as we're going to see this morning. And the statement is really the key statement that we have for this whole series. And so I'm going to put these verses, so we'll put them up, that we've um, been looking at this, this wonderful statement for, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are. We are. We, we are God's workmanship. You are. I am. Each one of us. We're God's workmanship. And that's another way of saying that we're God's masterpiece. Now, just then. And aside here, before we go any further, uh, some of you know that I'm into memorizing Scripture. I really am. Big time for me. And I do this because I found it so helpful to my own, my own spiritual journey, my own walk. And there have been so many times in my life when I've been in a certain situation and, and to be able to have God's Word in my brain up here and, and think of a verse or a set of verses that apply to that particular situation just, just been incredibly helpful. And so you think about what, what better set of verses than to have ready right there in the front of our minds than this amazing statement where we're told that, that we're, we're God's masterpiece. So when, when you go out today, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a, a card that will have those verses on it. And then on the back side of it, last Sunday we looked at Paul's prayer in the first chapter. And so on the back side of that, of that card, we, we have that prayer for you. So here, here's what I, I'm, I'm asking you to do. And I <clears throat> really want to encourage you. 
to do this. Uh, and that is to memorize those verses uh, that, that we're talking about this morning. And I don't know if you're, you may not be a verse memorization kind of a person, but, but this time do, okay? In fact, in fact, if you're like a little bit older, you know, like me, they say it's really good for the brain. You know, keeps the brain active, uh, you know, keeps you sharp to, to memorize. So you might even have like a second motivation for doing that, just to keep your brain going. All right, everybody? So now, this word masterpiece, I got to tell you, I love it. I don't, I don't think there's any more uplifting and positive description than you and I could have of ourselves than this whole thing that we're God's masterpiece. That's the reason why we, we, use the word, we use that word to describe God's creation. As we saw last Sunday, some of those uh, pictures that have come back from, from the Hubble uh, Space Telescope. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why we use the word masterpiece to describe the best of the best that we've created with, with, with our own ability that God's given us to create things, this creative genius that God's put inside of us. And so, you know... Uh, We've got, we've got paintings, uh, artworks done that way, but, you know, we've got these architectural masterpieces. And I, I, I thought you might, be, you might enjoy seeing one of the latest that, that, that have been done. So look at that. I mean, is that cool or what? It's in Singapore, and it's called Singapore Sands. And it, it, it actually just opened on June 24th, and the hotel is those three buildings, and they're 55 stories high, and at, at the very top is that thing that goes across. It kind of looks like a boat, and it's called, it's called the Sky Park. And the thing that's, that, I, that I really like about it is that it's got the longest elevated swimming pool in the world, and it's, it has a, uh, uh, what's the number, 478-foot vanishing edge, you know? Man, look at that. Can you know what I would do if I, I mean, I'd love to jump in a plane today and go, to, go and stay in that hotel. And I would get in my room and I would, get my, I would get ready to swim as fast as I could to get up in that. Wouldn't you? Huh? Wouldn't you just love to get on the edge? How many of you would do it? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm just like, wow. You know? So, I, you know, I, I just wanted, I, I showed you that because I, I wanted to give us an idea and what we're talking about when we're talking about masterpiece. I wanted, I wanted us to be able to have in our minds what God has in his mind when, when he thinks of us as being his masterpiece. I mean, really, I think we're God's creative genius at its best. Now, you know, it might be if I was having a conversation with an angel right now, he might take issue with that and say, well, I don't know, Steve, you know, we're pretty close there. But we are. God's masterpiece. And I'm convinced the better that you and I understand this, the more our lives will be impacted, the more our lives will be transformed by this truth and how we live out our life every single day, how we, you know, how we think, how we act, how we speak, and what we do. It just, it will impact our life. That's why I sent you the email I did this past week. Boy, if you're not on our email list if for any reason at all, I'd just love to have you on it just to get the occasional emails that I sent out where I just share my heart with you. And I, 
And you could actually, if you're interested in that, you can fill out an information card and give it to the host as you go out this morning and you get that card. But I, I sent an email out this week just saying, you know, I, don't, I really do not think I'm going to be the same person by the time I finish this series. The reality of who I am in Jesus Christ, that, that's impacting me big time. And I, I'm hoping nobody misses. You know, I, if you happen to be gone on a Sunday, I would encourage you in this series, go online, listen to the sermon, because we, there's so much in this book. And it's like, if you miss one part of it, it's, it's just like, that. I just feel bad. Because um, I want us, to, I want us to get all of this. So let's dig into this. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, and we're looking at the first ten verses, and we already saw verses eight and nine. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read verse, verse one through verse seven. He writes this: As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of, of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, It is by grace you have been saved and and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's two things I'd like us to get today, take with us. The first is an understanding of what it is that makes it possible for you and I to become God's masterpiece, what it takes to get that done. And and the second thing is that what what this should mean for each one of us in in very practical terms. How how should we take this and and apply it in our life? What difference should it, it make for us? So first of all, what it takes for us to become God's masterpiece and what it takes... It's the grace of God. In fact, all the way through the first chapter, we've, it's, it's been a theme, the grace of God. In, in verses 4 and 5, Paul writes about God choosing us and, and God adopting us to be his children. And then in, in the rest of that chapter, he, keeps, he just points over and over again to God's grace that makes it possible for us to become his sons and his daughters, to be a part of his family. And he picks us up again in chapter 2 and where we find that word grace repeated. And it, he ends it in, in verse 5 with the statement, it is by grace you have been saved. And, and then in verse 7, he, he talks about the incomparable riches of, of God's grace. And, and then he begins verse 8 as we saw. He said, for again, that statement, it, it's by grace that you've been saved. I thought about this this week and you know, I thought it, you know, it's fairly easy for us to assume that we, to assume that we understand what this means when we talk about the grace of God. And, and I think sometimes it's even easier to make that assumption if we've grown up in church and we've heard it all of our, uh, all of our lives. But, but you know what? It, it might be, it, it could be true that you've come here this morning and you, you haven't 
truly grasp the, the full truth of what God's grace means. I think one way to know this, one big way to know this is if it hasn't changed your life, if it hasn't made a difference in your life. And, and I think of another, another way that, that I think you can tell whether or not you haven't gotten the grace of God, and it's if you're a grumpy person. No? I mean, seriously, if you're, even if you're a Christian, but you, you're just grumpy, you know, you're just kind of a crabby Christian. I, I don't understand that. If you understand the grace of God, then I don't think you're going to be grumpy. All right? That's getting real practical. It's also possible that you lost sight of what God's grace means in your own life. You Lost touch with the truth that your salvation is all about God's grace. It's not about anything in, in you or what you've done. It's not any of that. It's, you know, I, I think it's easy for us to forget what we were spiritually before, before Jesus Christ, to begin taking, even to begin taking credit for what God did. And you know what? There's a word for that. You know what it is? It's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. It's kind of like if I, if I was a, famous artist and I mean my painting sold for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and 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 you were a close friend of mine and and because we were such close friends I decided one day to give you one of my paintings and and I came over to your house and I had it wrapped and you unwrapped and you go like wow well thank you Steve and and then the next time I was at your house, you, you, were, you, you showed your friends. You showed everybody else. You said, look at this painting that Steve gave, that he did, that he gave to me. And, 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 and you did that way several times. But then after, you know, a couple years, two years, three years, I was over your house with some other, you know, with some friends again. And instead of you saying that it was my painting that I had done, you said it was your painting that you had done. So I think sometimes we can do that in our, our Christian lives. We can, we can start thinking that we did it when, when the reality is it's, it's all about the grace of God. Or it might be that you've come here today and you would say, honestly, Steve, I've never really understood what the grace of God is and what it means and the difference it can make in my life. And I, I just want to say to you this morning, if you've come here and, and that's true of you, I think I've got some really good news for you. Where you can walk out of this place today and have a whole new relationship with God. So that's what I'd, I'd like to spend these next few minutes with you, thinking about the, the grace of God and all of what it means. And beginning with the, these key verses again, the statement, and for it is by Grace, you have been saved through faith, that, that whole statement. And within that statement, there's a, a phrase that goes to the heart of what the grace of God means. It's, it's that statement where he said, it is the gift of God, it's, it's not of works. I've, I've used that, that little phrase hundreds of times in, in sharing the gospel with other people. And it, I mean, it, it really does go to the heart of what the, the grace of God is. It's a gift. It's a free gift. The gift is, is something, right, that you haven't worked for. I, a gift is something that you don't have to earn. You don't have to pay money for it. A gift is something that, that is given to you, not because you deserve it, but just because the person who gives you the gift, they, 
they, they want to give you that gift. It's totally free, 100% free. So definitely at the heart of what grace means, it's a, it's a free gift of, of God. But here's what, here's what you and I need to consider. There are, are all kinds of gifts that you and I have received that haven't changed our, our lives. They're, we could say they're not indispensable. And I, I think we'd all agree that we've, we've received gifts from other people that didn't really cost the person who gave us that gift a, a whole lot of money. And then, in fact, I, I asked Becky about this. I said, my wife, I said, Beck, have, have we ever gotten a gift from anybody that we never used that was... You know, it wasn't indispensable. We, it didn't change our life at all. And, and we know pretty much that it didn't cost the person who gave it to us very much. I said, do we have any, did we ever get a gift like that? And she said, oh, yeah. And she said, I, she, in fact, she said, I just came across it the other day. It's been packed in a box for the last 39 years. Uh, and uh, she was, she was well, pretty much. And, 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 and Becky was cleaning some boxes out of the basement. And, uh, you know, how you got to do every once in a while, throw stuff away. That, and she came across a gift that we got from the guy who was dating her sister at the time we got married, who ended up marrying her sister. He's now our brother-in-law. He's a great guy. Well, Rod Gar- Garvin's his name. But Rod, what he gave us was a set of these utensils, you know, these things that kind of the larger kind of a spoon and a, a fork that's a larger fork. And any, anybody ever get anything like, you know, spatula, that? But it was it, the color. It was the color. Back in the 70s, when Beck and I got married, we got married in 1972, and green, for some reason, green was the color. And it was just awful green. You know, there were just awful, all kinds of awful greens. In fact, uh, the funny thing about it is they're coming back now, kind of a vintage thing. Our, our daughter, Nikki, out in Seattle, she's decorated her place in kind of vintage stuff. You know, that's what people do again, I guess. But, but anyway, you know what? The thing about that gift, it was absolutely free that, that Rod gave us. It was free. It was a free gift, but it wasn't indispensable. It didn't change our life. didn't affect our life at all. It's been packed away for 39 years. And Odd thing is when I did need it, couldn't find it. But, but anyway, but, 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 and, and, the, and the other thing is it didn't, co- I know if I called Rod up and I asked him, how much do you pay, do you pay much for that? He'd say, nah, not much. You know? But let's, let's say that you lived in a third world country and you were very poor. And you needed a surgery and you needed it so desperately that if you didn't have that surgery, you'd die. You wouldn't survive. But it was a very expensive surgery. You had absolutely no money. There's no way you could afford it. And so it looked bad. You were in a desperate situation. But you had a, you had a friend, a very close friend, who loved you. And that friend, because he loved you so much, he happened to have just enough wealth to pay for that surgery, and so he liquidated all of his assets. He gave up everything that he had so that you could have that surgery, and you had it, and you survived. It was indispensable, and it was very costly. This morning, what I'd like us to see is that God's grace for each one of us is absolutely indispensable, and I'd like us to see that it really, I'd like us to see that it was a gift that was infinitely costly to God. 
So let's look at God's grace that it's an indispensable gift. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul begins with his statement. He said, as for you, you were dead, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Stop here. This gives us the first reason. It's God's grace is indispensable. And it's, the first reason is this, our spiritual de- deadness. Would you all agree with me that there's a big difference between being sick and being dead? Would you agree? Huh? There is, right? If you're sick and need healing, there are degrees of sickness. You can be a little bit sick or you can be very sick. And you go to a doctor and very often the doctor prescribes certain medicine for you to take and the doctor might say to you, well, you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing this. You need to get more exercise. You need to get more rest. You know, it, may, it could be a whole bunch of things that a doctor would, would tell you that you, you do. And so there, there are things that you can do to contribute to you going from being sick to being well that would help you get better. But if you're dead... You're dead, right? You're dead. And there are no degrees of deadness. The, the only thing that fixes being dead is resurrection, and you and I can't do anything about that, right? We can't help ourselves get resurrected. <laughs> See, the, the Bible doesn't say that we're sick in our sins. That we need Dr. God to do something to help us where we can help God help us. It's it's not like you and I need a little help from God. The Bible says that we're, we're dead in our sins. We're absolutely dead. And because this is true, the grace of God for each one of us is, is indispensable, absolutely indispensable. We need God to bring spiritual life to our spiritual deadness. But there's even more that makes God's grace indispensable. So again, look, look at this. Verse 1 through verse 3, we read this. He Paul writes, as, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the, the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. What's, what we find here is that there are three forces at work that pull us away from God, that pull us in the wrong direction. And the first is the influence of this world's value system. As Paul wrote in verse 2, when you follow the ways of this world. You see, the world in which you and I live is a world that is disconnected from God. It's a world that operates out of a different set of values than God has it. The the values of this world include things like like pursuing uh, money and possessions and and power and prestige. the, The value system of the world in which we live is one that has a whole different set of moral values than than God has. It's a value system that promotes living for the moment, living with a whole lot of selfishness, living as if this is the last day and you gotta get all you can get out of it. I mean that comes at us from everywhere, right? My goodness, all you have to do is watch one hour of television. <laughs> That's all, one hour of television, and, and the values of this world just get thrown at us over and over and over and over again, both in the program itself and in the ads throughout. throughout. 
Second force is Satan. Paul describes him this way in verse 2. He said, the, the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That, that, that's Satan and that's all his demons. You see, it's, it's like this world has its value system and Satan and his demons market it. They market it. We could say that Satan's got his own marketing agency. And it's promoting the values of this world and convincing people that those values are, are right and they're true, that, that you know, they're, they're, they're the way to live it. And you know what? Satan's really good at what he does. He's really good. I mean, he's extremely effective. He, he knows how to make something that is very bad look very appealing and very good. He, he's, he's not to be underestimated. The third force comes from within ourself. It's our sinful nature. And so Paul writes this in verse 3, and it's not very complimentary. He said, all of us also live among them, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. See, every single one of us in this room today were born with this natural bent toward evil. So much so that Paul isn't exaggerating when, when he says that you and I, are, that, we're, that we're gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. In other words, what, what he's saying to us is that you and I have this insatiable appetite for sin. Wow. Put these three forces together, the reality of our spiritual deadness, and I think it's very easy to see, isn't it, that we're in a desperate situation. We need God's grace for us. It's absolutely indispensable. But you know what? You know what? Paul, what Paul says at the end of all of this really puts front and center the full force of our desperateness. It faces us straight on with our need of God's grace, how really indispensable it is. And it's this that you and I deserve the wrath of God. Look at the last sentence in verse 3. He, he writes this, like the rest, like everybody, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, everybody left to ourselves, we face the wrath of God. We, we, you and I face the judgment of God. So, you know, you hear all of us and I got to ask you, doesn't that just make your day? Like, thank you, Paul. Man, you just blessed my heart this morning, made me feel so good. You know, if we said that to Paul, you know what he'd say back to us? He'd say, in all honesty, we're getting exactly what we deserve. We bought into the values of this world. We listened to Satan and we've repeatedly chosen to sin. And so Paul's saying, you know what? Yeah, you are in one very desperate situation. For all of us, God's grace is absolutely indispensable. But you know what? We also need to see how costly God's grace is, that, that it's infinitely costly. That's what we find in the next set of verses, beginning in verse 4. In verses 4 through 7, Paul tells us that God has done great, three very great things for us. 
And, and, and he, what he's doing is he's writing to men and women who have, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so what he's describing in these verses, he's saying is true for every one of them. And, 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 and it just strikes me, it's all in the past tense, which, which means from God's perspective, once somebody trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's a done deal. It, and it all comes out of God's grace. And I just got to tell you this morning, if you're here today and you have not yet come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what I'm going to talk about in these next few minutes, you can have before you leave, before you walk out of these doors today. So let's look at each one. First of all, here we are spiritually dead. And the first thing we learn is that God, God made us alive. Look at this, verse 4 and verse 5. He, he writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. In transgressions, he said, it's by grace that you've been saved. You know what he's saying here? He's saying God's taken us from spiritual death to spiritual show life. And in fact, I think to really bring this home to us, what, he, what he's saying is that once we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, at that moment, we are as spiritually alive as Jesus Christ himself is. Second one, God raised us up with Christ. Verse 6, verse 7, we, in fact, we find that the next two in that verse 6, but I'm looking at the first one. It said, and God raised us up with Christ, and then go right into verse 7, and, and, and you find why God did it. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Um, on Monday, July 4th, my niece Tammy took her last breath on this earth and she took her first breath in heaven. And on Thursday of that same week, the family had a, a, a pretty private graveside ceremony and very close family there and close, very, a few very close friends. And, and then on Friday, they, they had a m memorial service that, that where... They, they invited everybody, all, all the extended family and, and all of their friends. And, and the church building was filled from front to the back for that service. It was, it was a wonderful service. But, you know, in that, in that graveside ceremony, I saw something. They, they did something that I have never seen done before. And some of you may have. But after the pastor spoke, did a... Um, short talk, about 10 minutes long. And, and then at the end of that, uh, anyone who wanted to put flowers on the casket, which is normal, people do that. But instead of us then just all getting up and walking away, what we did was we stayed and we watched as that casket was slowly lowered into the ground right in front of us. I can't tell everybody, that made it so real. It made it so real that Tammy, her, her physical body, the body that, that had been hers for 51 years, was, was now going to be put under the ground. It was going to be covered with dirt to await the day when the promise 
of our Lord Jesus Christ would be fulfilled when we're told in in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come back to this earth and he's going to shout and there's going to be a trumpet and and all of those who who have died who are in Christ, their physical body is going to be raised from the dead and reunited with their spirit to be with God forever. And it just was so real. What's so remarkable about the way Paul phrased this promise in this sixth verse in Ephesians is that he wrote it in the past tense. Look at that. He, he, he didn't say at the beginning of that sixth verse, and he's, he didn't say, and God will raise us up with Christ. He said, and God raised us up with Christ. And I love God seeing me this way. You know, I'm already resurrected. I haven't died yet, and I'm resurrected already. I'm eternal already from God's perspective. In the same way, God makes us spiritually alive. God raising our physical bodies happens because of, as Paul wrote in verse 7, the incomparable riches of God's grace. Leaving this with all of his heart, Tammy's husband, Mike, at the end of this ceremony, as the captain, after the casket had been lowered into the ground and we all stood, Mike began singing this song, <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The grace of God. The third great thing that God does for us is also found in, in, in that same verse, in verse 6. It's this statement. He, he goes on and he said, he, he said, and God raised us up with Christ. And then he said this, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, once again, that's written in the past tense. It means that as far as God's concerned, we're already in heaven. I mean, we're already there as far as God's concerned. It's a done deal. I mean, it's that certain. Man, God looks at Steve Waltemeyer right now, and he says, God, God just sees me in heaven. I'm eternal. I mean, is that cool or what? I mean, is it cool? Well, come on, tell me it is. All right. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, that's why I think you and I have got every reason to walk around with a grin on our face, no matter what our circumstances are. I mean, my goodness, we're eternal. We're eternal. It's a done deal. We don't have to worry about that. You put all three of these together. God making us spiritually alive with Christ, God raising us with Christ, and God seating us with Christ in heaven. And this means that when you and I became believers in Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus Christ deserves becomes ours. You're as loved, you're as honored, you're as accepted as Jesus Christ is by his Father. Do you know what the implication of this is? If we're so united with him that we get everything he deserves, he's so united with us that he got everything that we deserve. Everything. See, that's the cost of God's grace. As, as, as 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus got everything you and I deserve. He got it all. On the cross, of course, he he got physical death. Far worse than this. He took on himself the wrath of God for our sin. The judgment you and I deserve, he took it on himself, which is why he cried out from the cross those words. You know what he said? He said, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those weren't just words. In those moments, he lost God. He lost his father. Somehow he experienced not not just physical death, but he experienced eternal death. And in some way he experienced what it would be like for us to be eternally separated from his father. That's a horrendous price to pay for our sin. And it shows us that God's grace is infinitely costly for each one of us. And so we put these two together. That God's grace is indispensable and that it's infinitely costly. And then you begin to understand the value of the gift that God's given to you. And it's then and only then that this gift, this gift will change your heart so that you become the masterpiece that God redeemed and recreated you to be. Which brings us to what we should want to do with this. That is living out God's grace, becoming God's masterpiece. And also, do we come back to our key verses for this series where we read this wonderful truth, you know? For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. It, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that, so that what? So that no one can boast. That's the first thing that the grace of God does for us. It, it takes away every reason for us to boast about ourselves. It's, it's not of work so that no one can boast. And, and so if you haven't already this morning, I want you to do that thing where you would just say, God, man, God, God, I realize there's nothing about me that deserves heaven. There's nothing about me where I can think I can earn it. And God, where I could ever stand before you someday and say, God, I deserve to be here. <laughs> Instead, maybe today you're understanding, man, I, I need God's forgiveness. And you know what? All you have to do is tell God you want it. Just say, God, I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus to be my Savior. Yeah. I think the grace of God takes away every reason for us to look down our nose at somebody else. Right? Takes away every reason for self-righteousness. I mean, once you've looked up at the Son of God, how can you look down on somebody else? Right? I believe the grace of God gives us every reason to go through our our life, no matter what our circumstances are, to at, at the very least have this inner smile, this inner joy within us. I think it's every reason to smile. The grace of God gives us every reason to love God. I mean, love awakens love. Gives us every reason to serve God with our whole heart. It it motivates us. It gives us the incentive to live life as redeemed and recreated as God created us. I mean, it's it's to be what God said about us in verse 10, that 
for his masterpiece. Living out good works. You know, you know what this means for us? It means that you and I should be very, very intentional each day of our life to do good works. We should be very intentional every day of our life to live in such a way that everybody around us is better off because they're around us. I think that the church of Jesus Christ should be such that the world becomes a better place because the church is here. Because we're here. Love awakens love. If you know what God has done for you, you can't help but want to love God back. <laughs> I'm just so grateful. Aren't you? Just so thankful. Let's stand together and worship, okay? Stand together and worship. And please.